Good day to all of our investors and general listeners. This is the Rudd Commentary. My name is Josh Rudd, and I'll be your host on this presentation today. And with me today, as always, is Jack Kerr, our Capital Markets Associate. So, Jack, how are things going? They're good. How are you? Doing very well, and I'm excited to get into this topic. For our new listeners who may not be familiar with our firm, the Rudd Company is a wealth management firm headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas. We manage investments for clients across the country and specialize in active portfolio management, retirement planning, and the setup and management of employer-sponsored retirement plans. Jack, before we introduce this exciting topic today, why don't you take our listeners into the trading room over the last month? So there's two things I'd like to talk about today. I want to, as always, dive into the economy a little bit first and then talk a little bit about market performance, especially headed up to the election this year. So the first thing I want to talk about is the weekly jobless claims number and also the unemployment benefits. I think it's really important to stay on top of just because it gives us such a a good insight into what the consumer is doing, how they're going to spend. And as we know, I I do like to bring that up on this podcast. And I think being 70% of GDP, it's an important thing to cover. Over the last couple of weeks, we have seen a little bit of a bump in the weekly jobless claims. We were consistently kind of tracking under 1 million new claims. But Two weeks ago, I believe, we were above that 1 million mark, which was worse than expected. Yeah, we saw that increase. Yeah. And then last week, we uh, normalized a little bit, which is which was good to see. So, Josh, we talked in our last podcast about how the $600 per week and extra federal unemployment benefits, how that was ending July 31st. And I think we're starting to see the impact of how that's affecting consumer spending. Combination of more people filing claims and those unemployment benefits going down is clearly having an impact. Um, We only saw modest growth of 2% in July, although that was actually before those claims ended. I think people were probably being pretty rational with that money, knowing that it's uncertain what's going to happen with those benefits in August. The good thing is that most states are paying around $300 per week in extra benefits now, given the current administration's directions. Um, We'll see if we see any sort of bounce back in August, but I think we could see that similar modest growth. What do you You think about that? You know, what's amazing to me is that we continue to see certain pockets of the retail uh, sector continue to do well. And I can only uh, think that it has a lot to do with this additional stimulus or continuing stimulus, you know, like the small electronics and are still doing extremely well. So a lot of this money is still getting to these retail companies and, and manufacturers of smaller products, not just consumables, but, you know, the electronics and wearables, things like that. I'll just bring it up right now because I, I had this on my list anyway. Really just wanted to hit on a point about how different this economic downturn has been than most. There's some clear outperformers, especially with the retail discretionary. We're seeing sectors like tech, um, e-commerce, home goods. People are really spending on those type of goods while the airlines, travel business, anything related to hospitality underperformed. I think that makes our job a little more important. We have to monitor these trends. And as active managers, we really have to be paying attention to these things. I'm glad you brought that up there at the end. Oh, and which uh, companies are going to continue to see growth and which are more just a a factor of the current environment and short-term needs or concerns among the consumer. It's going to be interesting to see which of these companies actually have legs to pass the pandemic. I agree. Last thing I want to touch on the economy, and this is this is really just a headline right now, but um, we did see something within the last couple of days, um, a study come out from the Fed and the Labor Department 
What it talked about is just our job recovery, you know, the rate at which it's going to recover over the next decade, given some of the demographics we're facing and how the job market's changing. They specifically pointed to a decrease in the labor force due to things like an aging population in the U.S., even the growth of tech and how that could replace some jobs. This is something we'll be, we'll be looking at a lot in the trading room and some of those long-term trends. I thought that was interesting that the Fed and the Labor Department did kind of project a more modest decrease in the unemployment rate as we head into 2030. Well, as we've talked about on this program before, demographics have a huge impact on the economy. I think that's a great point you brought up, Jack. I talk about the job market, but when we're looking into sectors like healthcare, um, an aging population is, is definitely something to, to keep in mind. The next thing here is just market performance. And we touched on the sectors that have performed well in the overall economy. And this, the same holds true with performance. We've seen a lot of our customers and, and listeners probably wondering, how can the S&P actually be up this year, given <laughs> all that we've went through and the economic growth? And um, we've really seen some clear outperformance in those things that I talked about earlier, whether it's tech, the e-commerce companies. It just hasn't been the sector as a whole, but really just some of the bigger companies that make up those sectors. A lot of that performance is driven by those companies. The tech sector in particular makes up almost 30% of the S&P. This is definitely understandable. Just wanted to bring up that quick point about market performance in general. Yeah, a lot of the questions we've been getting from our investors today are really the difference between when we talk about the stock market performance, maybe as measured by the S&P 500, versus the names that we've seen around a long time. Some of the older companies and companies that sell products that we do every day. To be more specific, the top five companies are responsible for a lot of the growth in the S&P this year. Would you agree? Yep, that's right. So uh, when we look at those companies and, and the large tech names that you know that they're all talking about on the news right now, and then you look at the difference between more of the tried and true value companies that have been around for a long time, I think what's very interesting is that in my career, I've never seen such a large gap between those growth companies and value companies as far as year-to-date performance. And you can really see that if our investors go and look at difference in performance year-to-date, Jack, in say the Russell 1000 growth and the Russell 1000 value. So we've got, last time I looked, almost a 30% year-to-date performance in the growth. Correct me if I'm wrong here. You probably watch that a little closer than I do. But the uh, Russell 1000 value I saw was down a little more than 8% this year. And, and I saw a 40, almost a 40-point 40 spread year-to-date between those two indexes, Jack, which I, I think is very telling. And I'm not making a, a prediction here that, that we're in a late 90s type run in the technology sector, but I will just say that I haven't seen a difference like that since very early in my time in the business, in the late 90s and, and early aughts. So and not to get too technical here, but here we're always monitoring the valuations of some of these companies. And obviously they've grown along with some of them bouncing back with the new growth opportunities that you talked about earlier. We'll continue to monitor that for sure. The last thing I just wanted to more give a reminder for our clients on is just the market volatility before elections. This is common that volatility will spike, especially in a wild 2020 where a lot of uncertainty around the election. For those of you that are worried, please go listen to our last podcast. I think we did a really good job in talking about volatility before elections and the usual long-term impact of an election. And we presented a lot of different historical data that, that should comfort you a little bit during these times. Thanks for uh, bringing us up to date on what's going on in the investment environment. I know our listeners appreciate that. 
So our topic today is something that may not be top of mind right now, but probably will be in the fourth quarter of this year, and, and not just specifically this year, but it's typically something we think about as we start to get close to the end of the year, and that's really just a, a focus more on charitable contributions and how we can benefit others through giving. As we begin, Jack, we need to give a little extra disclosure today. I know this is everybody's favorite part of our podcast or the disclosures, but I think our listeners will understand. We'll be discussing some general ideas and best practices for investors in the areas of philanthropy and charitable giving. For our listeners, this topic prompts many questions in the areas of wealth management, tax, and estate planning. So our discussion today will touch on all these topics So it is important that our listeners contact our firm or their respective tax or legal professional, depending on their specific situation. And I also want to say that we'll be discussing charitable giving in in a general sense and not focusing on one charity or another, nor are, are Jack and I implying that one form of giving is better or morally superior to another. The point of this program is for all our listeners to be better informed so they can make a greater impact with their charitable contribution. With that, Jack, let's get started. All right. I'm excited. So, Jack, why do you think we give two-thirds of the American public uh, make some form of charitable contributions every year? Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think there's a lot of different things that people give for, whether it's something that's personally close to them, a certain belief. could be anything from religion to any sort of cause. I think it gives a lot of people purpose and something that they really look forward to doing on a year-to-year basis. Well, I agree. And, and I, I just want to make a point is, is that on this program, we talk to investors that are trying to or have accumulated a lot of wealth. It, you don't have to have millions of dollars to make an impact. So I want to, I want to walk through uh, just some examples of some individuals that might be listening to this program in certain situations and who those givers are. Just to start, I think the, the most common gift and planning that we do in this area is for retirees. So you may be in retirement and have spent the last few years enjoying time with your family and, and traveling. And after a review with our firm, you realize that you have an excess amount of investments. You've got cash, you've got property, you know, you've reviewed your financial situation, and you've got plenty to leave to your children should anything happen to you. So you'd now like to spend your efforts helping others, but, but what do you do? And, and that's very common. Another example might be, and and we've had several of these happen recently, you've just sold a business for a large sum of money after building a profitable growth engine and you spent a lot of time leading others and just trying to figure out what to do with all this sudden wealth. So Jack, what's interesting is the majority of individual gifts in terms of frequency and, and count, they're not from individuals in retirement or from sudden wealth. They're from, you know, just regular folks that work nine to five jobs and want to make the world a better place. Let's say in, in that case, you're a, you're a young professional and you're in a growing job and you're not yet married, you don't have children, earning a really good living and you've done the things that you've been told to do, right? You're maxing out your retirement plan and plus you may be even adding a meaningful amount to a taxable investment account every month. Like you were talking about earlier, you step back and you look at the world and you see opportunities for improvement and you want to help, but you're not sure that these past donations that you've made kind of on impulse are really making much of an impact. Unless you're immersed in this as a child with a family that really has a giving program, you may need to step back and think about how you want to make the greatest impact with your dollars and who you can benefit. 
So that's what I, I want to talk about next, Jack, is, is actually who we can benefit by giving. So I want to start with the organization or first organizations that were presented to me. I don't know if this is true now, but uh, I'd say 20 years ago, there was a lot of focus on the large national organizations. And I'll throw out at least one name, United Way, where basically you make a contribution, you may make it through work, then the United Way figures out how to deploy that capital in situations where they see the most need. And, And that's definitely a way to do that. And that's kind of the largest and most comprehensive way. There's not a lot of prep work from you as a donor that has to go into that, but you can feel good in making a donation and and get some of the benefits that come along with that. Let's go to the other extreme, Jack. You have some extra cash and you know a person through work or through church or in your family that may need some help. You can make a charitable donation to a individual. That would definitely offer some help, right? Yeah, definitely. And there are some things we'll talk about a little later if you're expecting tax benefits that might be challenging. But the point I want to make here is between those two extremes, there's over one and a half million qualified tax-exempt organizations in this country. These can be anything from helping a U.S. veteran buy a home to providing animal rescue for a specific breed of dog, say a, a lab. We can be very general or very specific in giving. The point here is that if you can imagine it, someone has most likely created a charity for that idea. And Josh, do you have any advice for someone who may not have a specific cause that they're thinking of? It doesn't have to be a specific organization, but say, I know I want to donate, but I'm not really sure what to donate to. Do you have any advice for someone like that? Absolutely. And and we're going to talk a little bit later about that. But, you know, I was reading a very good book earlier this year. The way that the author presented it, and if I can think of his name, I'll mention it on this program. It's a great book. Is, you know, those times when you watch movies, and a lot of us don't like to admit that there are certain times in those movies where we break down and and we cry, right? (laughs) And so, what I would say for those individuals is it's extremely important to really find out what moves you. I think a lot of the giving, Jack, today that we do is on impulse as we're walking into a store or uh, as we get approached through some social arm twisting by friends to support a charity run. And I'm not saying those organizations are good, and and they, they very well could be. I just would like to see as an advisor to our clients, I think that there's so much value in preparing for those gifts. So what about how you give? So the first gift, Jack, that you made, uh, what did you do? How you, how'd you make that contribution? I think my first contribution to charity was through just my time in St. Louis. I used to go to the food bank and donate my time there, which was a really rewarding experience. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up. You were talking about time, and that might be something that our investors didn't think that they would hear on this program today. So let's talk about how you can give. I, when I'm talking to our investors and clients, I like to break giving down into in in two categories, Jack. And you talked about the non-financial. We'll get to that in a second. But let's just talk about financial, which is extremely common. Just random donations. You ever walked into your grocery store and heard that bell at Christmas time? You know, yeah. We can just put cash in the little red bucket. You can also write a check to support an organization of your choice. I'm not a big fan of that. The checks these days, if they're anything less than about $100, you know, your standard $25 check, they're very inefficient for those organizations to process. And in some cases, Jack, it can take them more to process the check than the check's actually worth. Another thing is you can donate your tax refund to organizations. That's interesting. And, and you know, if it's out of sight, out of mind, it's a very easy way to do it. You can also donate your airline or reward program miles on a credit card. That's something that a lot of the time is is overlooked. I know here recently with online shopping, one of the 
large uh, online companies has a program where every time you buy online, I think it's a half a percent of your purchase actually goes to a charity of your choice. So that's very easy. These are all financial ways that you can benefit the organization. But Jack, you mentioned donating your time. That's what I want to talk about next, some of the non-financial ways to donate. What I hear a lot about from young people is I may not have enough money to really make an impact in an organization, but everybody's got time that they can spare. A couple of things I'm thinking about is through manual labor or simple clerical administrative work. I remember, Jack, the first time our church asked men to build some wheelchair ramps, and half of the guys that showed up didn't know how to work a drill. So you don't have to be... You don't have to be a, a, a carpenter to go out and, and help with some manual labor. You can definitely donate your time. And you mentioned local food bank, I think, is what you mentioned. Anything else? Any other ways that you think that our listeners can donate their time? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of different organizations out there for you to come in and spend a couple hours there. And I think that's great. The reason I like to do it is because it's a rewarding experience and you can really see that impact that you're making right off the bat rather than, like you said, just cutting a check. You know, that's that's good, too. Being able to actually see that impact, I think that definitely makes you feel good when you can when you can do that. Donating your time and, and showing up, I cannot stress how important that is in some of the elder care facilities to be able to go in and spend some time with some of the greatest members of our society and really give back to a lot of those individuals who have put so much in, into building this great country. Also, Jack, uh, I want to throw out there, if you're a professional, such as, uh, you know, in our business and in, in financial services, investments, or you're a, a tax professional or legal professional, how simple it is for you to just donate your time and your skills and your specialization. I, I cannot tell you how many times I have gone to visit some of the local civic centers and encountered some elderly individuals that just may need help with some tax preparation or may have a simple legal question and and really just not know who to call. Let's say that you don't have a lot of time and you don't have a a skill that you think is, is easily donated. Some other things you might think about is if you don't have the money to donate, you could always be a real vocal person and help them raise cash for someone else. Uh, That's something that we all can do. We can all, we all have friends that we can uh, go do a little social arm twisting on to see if we can help them, uh, Make that decision to help a charity for that year. We can also organize events. Donating your stuff. We've all got stuff, right? Yeah, I have plenty of stuff laying around. (laughs) And you see that. You know, you see that. I hear tax professionals talk about that. Some of their biggest questions are all these receipts we get from organizations. But those really do great things. And when I hear that, you know, I've got nothing to donate and and no time and, and no specialization, I just look at folks and say, you know what? We've all got something we can donate. We can always go give blood. It's something we all have. We can always donate kindness and a smile and and really go the extra mile to do some things to make this world a better place. It doesn't have to be financial, right, Jack? Yeah. I'm glad you brought up all those different ways. It's it's not something the everyday person, I know I don't think about all too often. And there really are just so many different ways to, to donate. So we talked about different ways to make an impact through charitable giving. Jack, what about how to make the greatest impact with your gift, whether financial or or non-financial? I want to talk a little bit about the difference between making a purchase at a for-profit enterprise and giving that same amount, say $100, to a non-profit. You know, when you walk into a store, Jack, and you buy $100 worth of goods and services, it's pretty measurable, right? You're holding $100 worth of goods and services. Well, when you go in and you make a contribution of $100 to your favorite charity... How do you know you got $100 
worth of benefit going to the mission that you're trying to support. I think this is something a lot of people struggle with. You even said it earlier, you know, cutting a check, the cost it takes to process that it may not be real impactful at the end of the day. Definitely something to think about. Jack, this this takes us back to the question you asked earlier. I believe in what I see in practice and what I think would benefit our listeners is in order to make the greatest impact to the organization or to the uh, place in the world that you're trying to benefit, it's really just stepping back and being a thoughtful and intentional giver. I'm going to lead with that because I'll mention some other things that may be more measurable as far as impact, but being an intentional giver is definitely number one. And if you're limited by resources, which most of us are, you may want to make sure that you're doing just a little bit of planning, whether it's $100 or, or even that $20 hopefully given online will have a much better impact. And think about that in terms of the organizations or the causes that could have got the limited resources that you have. And, and that's what I want to drive home. By us not planning and not thinking about where we stand and what moves us, we're causing an organization to miss out on some of our time or our resources that we could be donating. Maybe the, the $25 that we gave to the organization in front of our local Walmart wasn't the one that moved us. Through a little bit of planning and a little bit of thought, we can really become an intentional giver. You talked about the second thing, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Just make your gift count. I talk about the $25 checks, but Jack, you know, you talk about technology a lot on our, on our market updates. I'm sure that the nonprofit world has been benefited by all these technology enhancements as well. I mean, it's, it's much easier to go online and click a few buttons and donate rather than, you know, writing out a check and having to send it in. So I would encourage everybody listening, if you're going to, the $25 and the $5, even $5 donations now are so much more impactful than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago, because we don't have to process a check. You can go online to organizations that can collect those payments in very small amounts. And organizations like that are known for forwarding a very high percentage of that to the actual organization. You can make a big impact now with those $5. Just don't write a check for $5 check. <laughs> yeah, I won't. So the next thing and how to, how to make your gift count is think like a business owner. I really am, am bothered by the perception that the nonprofit world just isn't run well. As a donor, I, I want our listeners to ask tough questions of the organizations that they're going to donate to. You don't have to donate $10,000 or $100,000 to an organization to ask how much of your funds are actually going to go to those in need. A lot of organizations have a lot of fixed costs and a lot of overhead, and you need to know that. And there are some organizations out there that are very large that's run very well, where a lot of the money that you're donating is, is going to those individuals in need. I think asking the right questions and, and really trying to find out, is my $100 getting $100 worth of benefit for those in need? Some other questions, Jack, you might want to ask what that organization's mission is. There's over a million and a half 501c3 organizations, qualified organizations in this country, and I'd want to know what their mission statement is. You know, what are they really trying to do? If they're trying to benefit Labrador retrievers or chocolate labs that are abandoned because they're not able to be used as hunting dogs, and that's what's important to me, that's great. I just want to know what their mission is, and I want to know how much of my giving and, and time and money is going to benefit that mission. Also, something that just kind of catches everything else 
is in addition to how much of this goes to the actual mission of the organization, how is all the money used? How much is used for marketing? How much is used for dinners? How much is used for events and travel and things like that? I think just flipping that question over, Jack, really helps me understand not just what the mission of the organization is, but how committed those individuals that are running the organization are to that mission. And then the last thing in that area, Jack, we've already talked about, know what moves you. And I did, while, while I was talking here, remember where I got that from. So there's a really good book I would encourage those that are interested in learning more today to read. It's called The Art of Giving by Charles Bronfman and Jeff Solomon. This book is, is pretty high level and might be a little more appropriate for those running a nonprofit organization, but there's some very good pieces in there on giving. If you really want to know what's going to move you and, and how you're going to get the most back from your donations in, in terms of feeling that you made a difference, it's just that example I gave you in the movie. You know, what makes you cry? That feeling of empathy you have. And this could be things that you're drawing from, you know, a family legacy of support. If your families have supported a, a mission for many generations, maybe you've been through a tough medical challenge. You've had a childhood experience that has really been impactful. You could have a very strong faith or a, a moral conviction that you feel very strongly about. Really, just about anything. I know some folks that are very involved in the environment and animal rights, and that's wonderful that they're able to connect with something that's important to them. The key here is just finding out what's important and what moves you, Jack. I agree. I'm also glad we got to discuss how to make a biggest impact, the research up front and properly vetting the specific charity you want to donate to is it's more important than ever. Oh, Jack, that's a really good point. In addition to just making sure we get the most bang for our buck and are more properly vetting the organizations that we are trying to benefit, there are some things I would like our listeners to know, really just some words of caution. The first thing is really simple, but it surprises a lot of our donors who are making first-time larger donations. And when I say larger I'm talking about anything over about a thousand bucks. Jack, once you give that larger donation, you're on their list forever. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. I just want all of our listeners to be prepared for that. And that's why I want to go back to support what moves you because it's extremely important that you plan and that you truly believe in that mission. I also want our investors and listeners to know that it's okay to say no, especially if right now you don't have the financial resources or you don't have the time to give. It's okay. It's okay to say no. I've seen a large impact to those also who donate their time. And I want to give you an example. It might be very flattering to be asked to join a nonprofit board, but please remember our discussion above that board membership may come with expectations on time. You know, that's one of the resources that you can donate. And I believe also what a lot of first-time board members get hit with when they join the boards, there's also an expectation in a lot of cases for a minimum donation or some type of fundraising requirement. Just so our, our listeners are aware, those are not bad things, but we just want to be prepared for them. And if you're not able to give, you're not being mean. You know, you just have to know how to say no. And in this environment, in the nonprofit, I would encourage, just like anything else, to be able to say no with grace. Just remember, a well-run and professional charitable organization will understand and thank you for your consideration, even if you have to tell them no. The best way to turn down a request for a donation is simply to complement the mission of the organization and all the hard work of the volunteers and to let them know you're not able to give this time. 
but you are in support of their mission and what they're doing. And as long as you're prepared, and it may sound kind of silly that you practice that a few times, it'll enable you to focus your attention on what you're interested in giving or, or how you're interested in giving at this period in your life. Jack, have you heard on the radio solicitation for donating of, of automobiles to a charity? Yeah, I have heard that a few times. And that's something I didn't know a lot about. I was preparing for this program today. I was doing a lot of research on on how much of a donation goes to charity. And I was very disappointed to see that that particular donation type of donating things and, and specifically automobiles just has a very low percentage of the dollar amount actually going to charity. I would just want investors, when they're asked to donate large pieces of property like that, to really understand how much goes to charity, understand what the benefits to them, maybe from a tax perspective, will be, and just to assess the impact that they have. Some other things, Jack, are just uh, unknown organizations. As we talked about, there's a million and a half 501c3 organizations out there. There's a qualified charitable organizations in the eyes of the IRS. And I just, I've seen scams, a little concerned about that. And just to make sure that the organization that you're donating to is, is legitimate, just a little bit of research can really save you a lot of headache. If you come across a solicitor that's very pushy as far as timing that you need to make a donation now, if your tax professional is telling you to write a check by the end of the year, that's one thing. But if somebody's really twisting your arm to make a donation quickly, I would step back and, and do some research or, or phone a friend. The final thing I'll mention is one of my concerns of a scam that's been increasing recently that has to do with gift cards. If you're being asked to purchase a gift card, say, to a large uh, electronic store or grocery store and donate that to the charity, I would really step back and take a good hard look at that organization. Those are very difficult to track and, and unfortunately have been the subject of scams recently. Well, Josh, I think that's some good common sense advice for everyone to take when they're trying to bet a charity and make a good impact with their gift. One question I had, what are the tax or estate benefits to giving? I know that's probably a question on the top of a lot of our investors' mind. Well, that's the big one, right, Jack? The government and the IRS really want to make it attractive for us to give money to help charitable organizations in this country. There's some things to consider when you're making charitable contributions and you're expecting a tax benefit. And I think the the most overlooked is we've had a recent increase in the standard deduction. If you're going to get a direct tax benefit from a charitable contribution, you've got to itemize your deductions have to be greater than your standard deduction. I know that may sound very basic, but I think it surprises a lot of young investors who may, you know, we're talking about that younger professional, Jack, and, you know, they may give $100 to an organization and be a little frustrated that they didn't see that as a deduction on their taxes. But now, you know, the standard deduction is so high. So I think that that's probably the first thing. Um, but let's dive into to some of the things that I think are a little more interesting on a, on a kind of a basic sense, the organization that you give to, it needs to be a qualified charitable organization. You know, we've been referencing a term and we haven't defined it, the, the 501c3 organization. And I would encourage our investors to Google that term and you could read more about that. And the good thing, Jack, is that most religious organizations, charitable organizations that you come across qualify for that. And, and that can be very complicated. There are other sections of the tax code under that 501 that may apply, but the 501c3, I think, is the one that most individuals have heard about. And Josh, is it the responsibility of the person giving the donation to record all this information, even if it's a qualified charity? Is there a way that that's automatically put down that I made this donation? 
Boy, that's a really good question. And, and you actually led me into my next point. In addition to making sure that the organization is a qualified charitable organization, you've got to document those contributions. There are some de minimis rules or smaller donation rules which may apply in this case, and, and you can check with your accountant there. You, you need to document, and in a lot of cases, too, you need to receive some type of receipt from the organization. In a lot of cases, that receipt also needs to state that you didn't receive any benefit from that donation. One of the popular ways of fundraising for great charitable organizations is to have these large events and charitable dinners. You go on and you buy these tickets for $1,500 and you go and you have this $30 dinner. Well, you know, you have to deduct that $30 dinner from your donation. You cannot receive a benefit from the organization. So you should be seeing, Jack, uh, that also on the receipt as well. Okay. It's good to know. One of the things that, that also I think surprises individuals is Political contributions in general are not tax deductible. Uh, you can't give $100 to the campaign of your favorite candidate and, and write it off on your taxes. That's just another one, Jack, that comes to mind. And I think as we're coming up to an election, that's just something that individuals should, should keep in mind. So I'd like to continue to explore some of the tax benefits with giving, Jack. And I think some of the most overlooked really have nothing to do with donating cash. From time to time, we'll receive donated securities. Yeah, that's something that um, we've been seeing a lot more lately. Individuals can donate securities, and this is extremely powerful to a charitable organization from a tax perspective, because let's say you buy XYZ security for $50. You know, several years down the road, it's now worth $100. What typically can we expect to be a negative tax impact to that investor for that price increase? Yeah, the capital gains tax, correct. Absolutely. So we've got some capital gains that are due. Let's say that stock that you bought for $50 is now worth 100 You can donate those shares to the organization and get the full current value of those shares as the, the value of the donation for tax purposes, which is very powerful because remember, you only paid $50 a share and now it's worth 100 You're actually getting the benefit of the full value. But something else that a lot of investors don't think about is you're also not paying the capital gains on the $50 per share you're getting a double benefit from that contribution to that organization because they're not paying the income tax on that as well, and they're not paying the capital gains. And so I believe it's something that's really overlooked. And I would encourage our listeners out there, if you're looking at making donations, this is something that you should consider and talk to your financial professional about if they're not talking with you, because there could be some some great benefits there. Jack, in addition to any stocks and bonds and marketable securities donating, can you can you think of anything else that might be uh, worthwhile donating? Any other asset that has any value? What about Mike Trout's $4 million baseball card? You know, it was amazing when I saw that headline. We've been talking about the inflation and some of the uh, non-financial assets. Uh, it's been very interesting to us. I cannot tell you how exciting it is to discuss donating physical assets with our clients and Huge benefit to that. So as Jack brought up, and not in addition to baseball cards, you can definitely make donations of art and jewelry and land. In these cases, how the organization treats that and how much you can deduct is something you need to talk to your tax professional. Uh, I know in a lot of cases you can deduct the full value. There are some limitations on, in how much that value is in comparison to your your income for that year. What's important for our listeners to know in this case is you can make those donations. And what's even more interesting, Jack, did you know in the case of art and of land, you might be able to donate those assets and actually still maintain control? No. How does that work? Uh, I don't want to get into the weeds here, but just as kind of a teaser, 
say you have a very nice painting and it's part of a collection that a, a local art museum, you know, wants to complete. And all you're going to do is, right, look at that painting and enjoy it. And, you know, you might be getting on in years. You can actually donate either full or a partial portion of that painting to the institution with an understanding and an agreement that you'll maintain physical possession of that for a specific amount of time. I really want our listeners to get creative with their giving, with the assets that they have and all the hard work they've done. There's no simple and straightforward way to think about giving. There's so many interesting and exciting ways that you can benefit organizations. We're happy to start that conversation with you and help you take advantage and, and leverage those opportunities. And you know, Jack, uh, there's one more. In addition to uh, you know, dead end securities or baseball cards or physical assets, I think one of the easiest ways to make a large tax impact, Jack, is just simply by listing a charitable organization as a beneficiary on your IRA. It's something that charitable organizations, it, it's very beneficial to them to be a part of that estate planning technique. A lot of those taxes that would be due on those pre-tax qualified funds can be avoided just simply by listing a uh, charitable organization as a beneficiary on your IRA. Well, I'm glad we covered all those tax benefits. Another question I had, you talked about business owners a lot earlier in the podcast. Say a business owner you know, sells his business, retires, and he's you know, kind of all set up, has the money he needs. Is there any way to offset that tax bill with a charitable contribution? Jack, what a great question. That is a big issue that's facing investors today and some of our more complicated situation. Let's say you sold a business for $50 million and you've got this enormous tax bill and you've allocated money for yourself, for you and your family, children, additional businesses you may want to set up, but you've still got this large chunk of money. I mean, this is more money than you thought that you'd ever come into in your life. You got this tax problem, but guess what? You still also want to make an impact with all this leftover money. So there's really two ways I've seen, Jack, that a lot of tax professionals and, and tax attorneys recommend. And first off, I want to encourage anyone in this situation to put together a great team. You're going to need additional professionals to help you with this. Two of the most common ways that I've seen come up are something called a donor-advised fund and also a charitable trust. And I'm not going to get into too much detail in these programs. Both of those can be very powerful. A donor-advised fund allows you to make a single large charitable contribution possibly in that same year, take a large deduction depending on your financial situation, then have guidance on where those funds are donated for a very long time. The funds aren't technically yours. It is a little complicated, so I would want to discuss this with an individual specifically, but it's a very powerful tool. And the real advantage, Jack, of a donor-advised fund, the administration is very, very simple comparatively to a foundation or, or other types of vehicles. Compare that to a charitable trust. And we've had them here at our firm and been involved in the creation and, and distribution phase of these trusts. You maintain control of the dollars that go into that charitable trust. And then you can make a decision if the income from those investments or that trust is going to a charitable organization and the principal go to your family, your children, or maybe even yourself, or it could be the opposite where maybe the income goes to your family or you for the rest of your life, and then the remainder of the corpus goes to your favorite charity. But I want our listeners to know that there's some really exciting tools out there where you could take advantage of some enormous tax benefits and really impact the organizations that you want to make a difference in. So it sounds like if you're someone who's making a lot of different contributions to charity, you really need to talk to your financial professionals. 
Absolutely. And, and if I could just add that you don't have to sell a $50 million company to take advantage of some of these things. I used an example that I thought was the most common of the individuals that usually know to take advantage. And why do they do that, Jack? They are the ones that have those professionals around them. But we would welcome any of our clients to call us. Jack, did you know you can set up a donor advised fund for as little as $10,000? I did not know that. Not many people do that, but it's becoming so much more popular. I would encourage anyone, that if you have any questions or you're in a situation where you've got a tax challenge or you really want to make an impact in one year, please give us a call. We'd love to help you with these. Are there any more benefits you'd like to share of giving? I appreciate that. And, and really just, I want to reach out to our uh, parents and grandparents that might be listening today. I cannot stress the importance of involving your children and grandchildren as early as possible in the giving process. I truly believe that as we get more successful in our society and, and as investors, unfortunately, one of the characteristics of that is just focusing more on things and the acquisition of wealth. If you look around the world today, I think we could all use a little more kindness and compassion for others and, and really making a point to understand not just what moves me, but what moves others. And even if you disagree, just making a point to understand their perspective in life. That effort of understanding is really what we need right now. And I, I can't stress enough, families that engage their children in the giving process, whether you talked about some type of a soup kitchen or working at a charitable organization, or we talked about visiting the elderly, the impact that that's going to make on a young person's life and the development of their character. That's all the advice I have for today. It's a good way to close. As always, if you enjoyed this program or know other investors that would appreciate this information, please share the Red Commentary podcast through email or on social media. We would also like feedback on our program and ideas for future topics. If you have the time, we would really enjoy hearing from you. Speaking of future topics, Jack, I would like to uh, give our investors and, and listeners a little sneak peek into next one. We're going to be talking about investing in non-financial assets, correct? Yes, and I don't know if it's specifically going to be the Mike Trout uh, baseball card, but we will be talking about the recent interest in those non-financial assets. So this could cover anything from baseball cards to art to bottles of wine to vintage sports cars. Anything in that realm. Exciting, isn't it? Yeah, sounds like some pretty fun stuff. It, it will be. All of us here at The Red Company would like to thank you and our investors and clients for your trust. Thank you for allowing us to be your partner in your long-term financial journey. We take our role very seriously. Thank you very much for listening today. This is the Rudd Commentary. I'm your host, Josh Rudd. And from all of us here at the Rudd Company, invest long and prosper. This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.